Fuck Budokan. And the Marshall Way with mixed movement artist Cameron Shane on this episode of The Fight Focus. What's up everybody, Buck Grant here. Cameron Shane is the founder of Budokan, a mixed movement art that includes martial arts, calisthenics, mobility, and yoga. I trained with him about a month ago during a five-day immersion in his uh, facility in Florida, and I got to know him quite well during that time. Um, his team's coming off of a really big win for mixed martial arts. Uh, Rafael Lovato Jr., who's a world champion black belt, cross-trains with uh, Cameron and the Budokan people and just got a win that might get him a title shot pretty soon. I got a chance to spar with him when I was out there. I also got to train and spar with guys like Josh Berkman, who's a former uh, Ultimate Fighter fighter. And he's going to be on the show here pretty soon, by the way. He was also on uh, Tough One or Two, one of the first Ultimate Fighter shows. And then Shanji Ribeiro was out there not only training with us, but um, sharing some of his wisdom and knowledge. So there's a lot of really big names are getting attracted to Cameron's work, and I was curious about it. So I went out there and trained and became good friends with him, and now I have him on the show. I'm also teaching at one of their locations here in Charlotte, the Budokan Charlotte location. So if you're in Charlotte, come check me out. Come train with me. Really good show. Had a lot to say. Um, I'm not going to go into big detail because I want to get right into the show, share this information with you. This show is brought to you by BuckGrant.com. I've got a couple of workshops coming up to close out the year. Been pretty busy for the rest of the year, which is really exciting. The newest one on my list is on October 20th through the 21st. I'll be at SoMish um, Martial Arts Academy with Brandon Markin. And be they're my new mixed martial arts affiliate. I'll be running the mixed martial arts program and affiliation for those guys. Really excited about it. We're doing an entire mixed martial arts weekend, Thai boxing, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, shoot boxing, which is the transition between the striking and grappling. We'll be doing that on the Saturday and Sunday. It'll be three hours on one day and three hours on the other. So if you want to check that out, just go to buckgrant.com and you can get information about it there. Without further ado, here is Cameron Shane on this episode of The Fight Focus. What's up, everybody? This is Buck Grant here. I am here with Cameron Shane. We got into a conversation um, offline, and I figured I'd just hit record because we. this is generally what happens when I talk to this man. We end up um, saying things that I think are very pertinent and can be shared with the world. So thanks for being on the show, brother. I really appreciate it. What's up, Buck? I am so, super, super grateful to be with you, my friend. Um, I was just with you recently, so yeah. I didn't really have enough time to miss you. So, you know, so, so, I, so let's just hang up. Call me back later. Yeah. Where we can. Yeah. So I get some more, some more space between us. I feel right. like we're spending a little too much time together. A little too much and time. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 uh, I feel you like know, you need to miss me a little bit more. Just a little I, bit. I think, or I miss you too much. I don't know. Like there's something's being, something's happening here. It's like a love thing. It's like a great yeah, R&B song. No, I'm super, yeah, super grateful to be with you, brother. And yeah, um, as, as you were saying, we were, we were stepping into a conversation on the difference between building a fighter and a modern day, a modern day fighter mm-hmm. versus a modern day black belt. Yeah, and that's I think it's an important factor because right now with mixed martial arts being so uh, popular, a lot of people are getting away from this 
the, the belt systems are getting away from a culture of an actual martial art. And it's becoming more difficult, I think, to explain to people what is the significance and importance of coming through like a black belt culture, so to speak. And I wanted to kind of hear your words on it because we were about to go into it before we um, got online. I think that we were going in the right direction with it. Yeah, I think the difference, and, and that's what we're going to unpack right now, at least according to my my experience and my opinion. And first, let me just, let me say this so that it, it doesn't, I don't sound like um, sort of an uninformed, opinionated individual. Um, at 12 years old, I started Taekwondo. I uh, transitioned uh, through the, the the ranking with uh, you know Dan and Paul Harmon, who you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, super great guys uh, in the originally Mudaquan, um, which became you know Mudaquan is a pretty traditional old school um, Korean system. Okay, um, they used to all be Kwans or schools, so Mudaquan was one of them, and then they just sort of um, homogenized it all into Taekwondo. And, and that's, you know, what we have today, which is sort of the modern Taekwondo. It just sort of absorbed everything okay. into a singular um, nationally recognized martial arts style or system. Um, Korean government was highly involved in that, okay. you know, to, to, to create that. Um, so uh, move my way through the black belt ranks there. Then I moved into Japanese karate, uh, Yoshikai which is uh, from Kitakushu, uh, the islands uh, in the Okinawan Islands. Um, very traditional, classic Japanese style, learning weapons. Um, achieved my third um, degree black belt in that system. And at the same time, was sharing a gym with this guy named Hicks and Gracie, who at the time, you know, as I told you that story before, didn't really know anything about Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, didn't know who this guy was. Um, just, we were just sharing a, a space. It was, it was our space. It was the martial, it was the, the karate school, Jerry Blank. It was his school. And Hickson was renting mat space. So they'd come in, lay out their mats at nighttime, and they would have their classes. After, you know, after the karate classes ended, I, it would be usually be about eight o'clock. It's pretty late. Actually, it was like mm-hmm. eight o'clock and then boom. So I got interested in that just from sort of, I was, you know, I was there. I was one of the, the instructors. So I got involved in that. So at this stage, I'm a brown belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I'm still, still really under the the Gracie lineage because uh, Gi Arashiro, who is, as you know, Gi, yeah. who is uh, my primary teacher, as a um, he's a fourth degree under Hyen and Hinzo, so I'm still, you know, within that lineage. So here, and this will be my last. This will be the last black belt I, I, I you know, pursue. But it's my third. You know, how many can you pursue in a lifetime? But it's my third. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you could, but uh, yeah, I see you roll. You, I see you make that eye. I, you're like, yeah, well, you can get a bunch. You but get a bunch of them, if, if you take your point? time, yeah, if you take your time and you do it right, and you're not in a rush to actually achieve the black belt, but just you're a genuine student of the work. Because I've I've never stopped being a student of karate, taekwondo, or BJJ. Um, you know, you're talking about. Proper, really a proper a ten year a ten year process yeah. for each art form. Even though you can achieve black belts earlier, but if you're just doing it to achieve a black belt rather than to really become 
um, you know, I'm going to use the term loosely, but masterful at the at, at that particular art form. Mm. Um, you know, I think you need you need a decade in in that work. So, I'm speaking from a place where I, I you know, I have a very traditional black belt lineage background, mm. and then, as you know, we also work with professional fighters, um, specifically, uh, right? You know, Josh Bergman and. Um, Rafael Lovato Jr., who yeah. is currently fighting now. Yeah, you just came off of a really um, powerful win for him, right? Like yeah, Bellator. Yeah. yeah, really, really impressive. We're 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 one stage away from. I mean, this was this was according to Bellator, the promotion. This was the the match to see who's going to um, get to challenge the the title. So Musasi. And um, Roy McDonald are fighting Saturday okay. for the for the Bellator middleweight uh, title. That's this Saturday coming up. This is tomorrow, correct? Oof. So Rory is fighting from welterweight. He's moving up to challenge middleweight Masasi is, uh, you know, holding the middleweight belt. So Rory stands to, you know, carry two belts the first time someone has done that in Bellator. Mm. He's, he's, he's looking to pull off a um, Cormier McGregor. <laughs> yeah, man, there's some killers in Bellator now. Like Bellator oh, is, is coming sure. up. It's coming up. You know, a lot of the guys they couldn't they say couldn't make it in UFC or weren't getting the, the the proper deals for them to be able to to to, to make it and, and become who they wanted to be are like going over to Bellator and now they're becoming rock stars and it seems like Bellator is is making a really fast run towards getting towards the top with the UFC. Well, Bellator's uh, you know it's got Paramount TV behind it, mm. um, which you know I mean it's not a small promotion. It's, it's legitimate now. And they've got big names that come from, like, on the same card that they've got Rory and Musasi, who are both, um, you know, well-known high-level fighters. Musasi was coming off, I think, a six or seven win streak, streak in the UFC when he actually, when his contract ended and he renegotiated but went with Bellator oh. instead of instead of staying and making his finishing run for the title in UFC, he just jumped over to Bellator because apparently got a better deal. Mm. So he's UFC a lost. world beater, man. He is a world yeah. beater. I mean, he's he's yeah, he's obviously a very uh, he's a he's a he's a world class fighter. And on the same card, you've got Rampage versus Vondelay Silver. I mean, not Van Lee, but Wanderson Silva. My, I got too many Silvas in my brain. I got Van. I got, I got Vandele. You got Vandele. You have Wanderson teaches at your gym. I got one. And I got Wanderson. He's <laughs> one of my black belts at my gym. Oh Jesus! Too many Silvas, too many, man. It's like yeah, the Smith I got, I got of Brazil. Many, I got too many Portuguese names, and I'm married to a Brazilian woman, so I got too much. I got too much in my brain. But anyway, yeah. So they've got. Uh, you got you got uh, Vandelay and Rampage for number three. You've got you've got Shell Sonnen and uh, Fedor 
in this whole this is all this like heavyweight grand prix thing they're doing so i mean you know so anyway um we're we're off subject a little bit but given some of our given some of the folks a little bit of education out there so in the fight world yeah in the fight world out there you you you, sport fighting some people within the sport fighting world have black belts in traditional systems to name a few uh bj Penn, you know black belt in brazilian Mm -hmm. jiu-jitsu one of the first americans to win a world title in brazilian jiu-jitsu against brazilians yeah, not uh, even a point Lovato scored Jr. on him either. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Rafael Lovato Jr. same exact thing. One of the first, he's one of five Americans to win world titles against the Brazilians mm. in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Um, he has a black belt, of course, in BJJ. You've got um, uh, George St. Pierre, you know, GSP, mm-hmm. who has his black belt in Shotokan or not in Shotokan, but in Kyokushinkai, mm-hmm. karate. So I can name some of the highest level fighters, Machida, you know, who are legitimate black belt holders in lineage arts. And, and I think what you start to notice is the difference in the behavior of these guys. Yes. When you, at, at, you know, when you see them interviewed, when you see them at press conference, just the way that they approach, there's a cultural stigma that discourages assholery <laughs> when you have black belt because it's just not it's not etiquette. You don't behave that way. You don't talk to another black belt in a disrespectful manner. Because there's the respect that is exchanged by both parties knowing what it took to earn that belt. And that part of earning the belt is the development of character. Mm. And as you develop character, as you develop ethic, a work ethic, you would not disrespect another man's work ethic that you are familiar with. That you understand. Then that's the... That's the, the, the link that brings all black belts um, together in this sort of, um, you know, it's a fraternity mm-hmm. that, you know, not a lot of people are a part of. Right. And nowadays, fighters sometimes don't appreciate that fraternal cultural unspoken ethic because you know hey it takes a lot of courage to come in this ring and do what we're doing right now and you see that often in you know they they celebrate each other after a fight they thank each other after a fight they 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 you know and and then you've got your other guys who are shit talking the entire time mm-hmm. who've turned this into a spectators entertainment sport rather than you know, again, what it what it came from, which was uh, the two men stepping in to in, in a respectful manner, in, in, a, in a manner of of great appreciation for what each other is doing, and because because by the way, no one, as you and I both know, 
is going to understand what it feels like to be standing across from another man in a coliseum surrounded by screaming people. That that's an experience only those two men share, mm-hmm. and that's the bond. And that's typically why then when they retire, you know, they they often are friends. They often are having you know, strong relationships. You know, so it's 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 just like you know, it's again like American football. It's a battle. These are war battle, and they they end up they, they sit together when they're old and they talk about it with this great you know this great respect and admiration for what each other can only relate to. Yeah, man. And that's the black belt journey that develops so much of a person's um, way of being because a black belt environment is also a formal environment. You don't call your, you don't call your teacher by their first name. Mm. You don't walk in there casually. You, you don't, you don't act like there's no privilege. You clean the floors. You, 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 you're in service in pursuit of mastery. And there's only one way to get to mastery is through service. And, and this is the difference, I think, in that black belt journey is that getting clear that you come in here and your teacher, this is a formal environment. Mm. Your teacher is to be spoken to and treated in, an, in a manner that reflects that you are a subordinate. You are you are you have surrendered your authority to this individual in exchange for knowledge yeah and if you want to be in control and you want to have things done your way and you want to be taught the things you want to be taught and you want to control how and what and when and where you're taught it then you just need to go on youtube <laughs> Yeah, pick up some videos and man, it, it's it's. Can you hear me? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. good. Um, yeah, it's so just from my experience of teaching, you know, MMA guys. I had a couple of guys who fought through a Bellator and Strike Force. Um, I had my short little run with MMA before I was too old to keep getting hit in the head for a living. Um, I I just remember the difference between coaching like a martial artist, a person who came from that type of like ethos, versus an athlete, a guy who just just came up through, you know, sport or or just got into it because they like to fight people. They had a, quite a few of those. And there's this attitude with like the, the the fighter type that we owed them something like like what's in it for them was always the question on their mind. And if there wasn't enough in it for them, then they were always looking for the next source that would give them what they want. It was like this kind of parasitic um relationship that they would have with their teachers versus a martial artist would have, like you said, a, a, an attitude of service and humility from it. And I think from my experience that, that, that lasts a lot longer. Like even after the ring, when they're done fighting, they're still going to use those skills to become a better person, a better business person, a better husband or wife. And some of these athletes who come in with this idea that everything is in it for them, once fighting is done, those are the ones that have a harder time transferring back over to the to, to the real world. And so that's that's really insightful. I, I never thought of it that way um, with the martial arts ethos. Yeah, I think the I think the ethos of martial arts is is essentially wrapped into the word leadership, mm. and you're developing leaders, 
and either their leaders now or their future leaders. But a black belt is being groomed for a leadership position. They're ultimately a, a lineage holder. They're being groomed to hold and then pass down the entire body of work of this lineage. And that's a great responsibility. And it requires great, great, um, I feel it, it requires great emotional intelligence. It requires great um, intellectual you know, prowess. You have to be smart. You have to be emotionally mature. You have to be, um, you have to have a real clarity about your self-worth. You know, how do you, how can you stand and hold space for other people to develop and become their greatest potential if you as an anchor point for them are not clear in yourself? You yourself are not, you know, solid in your own identity. You know, we're all working through our shit. No human being you know, has got it all figured out. But some of us who spend more time focused on the development of consciousness are going to have a greater capacity to hold space for people while they're transitioning through these stages of development. A person who's still figuring themselves out can't be an anchor point for anyone else. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it's, it's, you, you're just basically, it's like two people on a ship hugging each other, you know, crying and panicking. The ship's going down. <laughs> you need someone who's standing there going, it's okay. Put your life jacket on. Find the nearest boat, get in it, get, you know, it, it's that, it's that individual who's anchoring, you know, and I say anchor because I feel like it's just a very simple, you know, analogy. We can see that, you know, I'm the mountain and you're the weather, mm. you know, and you can change and move and, you know, around me, but, you know, I'm solid mm. and, and I need to be that for my students because martial arts is such a powerful tool. And I always tell people this, there's nothing more powerful, more effective at creating change in an individual than, than true lineage, deep martial arts. Because, and I say this lineage because if it's done well and it's done accurately, I get to take a person through all these stages of servant, master, student, teacher, um, winner, loser, you know, um, they, they get to, they get to take on a number of different archetypes mm -hmm. 
that are crucial for development of, of a person. As an example, they don't get to take on the archetype of the parent necessarily, or do they? You know, because some of my some of my young guys, I've got them running the kids class. Mm. Well, these guys are learning about children in a way they would have never learned before they had their own children training these chil- these kids. Suddenly they're parents in some very strange way, yeah. but it's, it's, but it, you know, it, but they are, and these kids look up to them. Um, so if you really think about what's being developed from the archetype position, martial arts allows for a lot of different stages of development that you're going to use and they're going to be essential to your, to your existence. And, you know, leadership is leadership and service. When are you never going to be in service to someone, to some thing, to some place? Yeah. You know, and when are you never going to have to step into a leadership position with that? So it's, it's you know. Yeah, <laughs> so, I mean, that's, I mean, it's incredible, right? When yeah. you think about and, and, and one more thought on this. What's older than this tool? Humans, from the moment we're born, we're, we're fighting. We're fighting to survive. We're fighting to be food or to um, find food or not be food. It's very simple, you know? It's like I, I come out, as all animals come out, okay, don't get eaten. Mm-hmm. Okay, find shit to eat. Yeah. <laughs> and that's it. And that's, those are the two essential things you do. And they have everything to do with being a warrior. Everything. They're completely about your ability to understand how to kill or not be killed, how to kill with integrity. You know, you don't massacre every animal within, you know, a hundred, you know, a hundred miles of your camp or you kill all your food. Yeah. You only take what you need. You don't just start a fight with the neighboring village or, you know, you end up in war. It's like, what you have to learn to be the, a human animal about violence and warfare? It's just so old. Yeah. It's so essential. Yeah, I mean, it, gets, it speaks to, the, to, to the, that uh, Shiva archetype of like both destroyer and creator, right? Like if the most important drives of us is like, you know, create, perpetuate ourselves forward, whether it be through our ideas, through our kids, or the our relationship to destruction like things dying or having to kill something or having having to fight something there's like those two primal drives are like so in, inherent with us and it's nice to have movement culture that kind of personifies that and what better movement culture than martial arts for example and you spoke to this during our, our course when i was with you about like every movement pattern is a fighting pattern like you even said that baseball. But I remember when you said it, it's a baseball, like, man, baseball couldn't be further from like real life than I don't know what. But when you when you broke it down and you said that all movement patterns really come down to fighting, that had that kind of stuck in my head. I wonder if you could kind of speak to that a little bit. Well, when you think about I mean, baseball as an example, you know, obviously 
my ability to focus on an object and hit it. You know, in a sense, this is sort of the development of weapons, the idea of weaponization. But my ability to take to take this bat, which is an ultimately probably one of the arguably the oldest weapon in the world, right. between a stone and a stick, and to skillfully use this this uh, this uh, well, well, what's even more ironic? Then I've got a stone I'm throwing at a bat. So I've got a stone, I'm throwing it a stick (laughs) and it's like, okay. So, um, you know, one of the oldest ways that we would, you know, we would uh, weaponize ourselves was to gather things we could throw. When we figured out you could throw something, you're like, sweet, I can, I can stand back here and not be too close to you. I can throw this and I can create damage from a distance Mm -hmm. and sticks and Blades, of course, being, you know, you know, hand-to-hand oriented combat weapons, they give us a little space, but not a whole lot. But then when I can throw a projectile, oh yeah, now I'm golden. So, you know, you've got this idea of like throwing something with complete accuracy, and you've got this idea of hitting something with complete accuracy, and then you've got this thing is sprinting as hard as you can, you know, running with as much speed and power as you can from one point to another. And I'm like, well, I can tell you right now, every one of those skill sets, let's put it this way, you, you, you crash land an, a plane on an island, and you're like, okay, it's time to I got to pick the hunting party. You know, we got to go out and catch food. Am I picking the guy that's the accountant? <laughs> you know, it looks like he's eating. And I'm, I'm sorry if you're an accountant out there. I'm not. I'm, I don't think all accountants, you know, eat, eat donuts. Um, that's. But I'm just saying. Right, right. If you take your typical archetype of sort of a person who sits at a desk all day, mm-hmm. they're not athletic. And again, I'm just, this, I'm just making this up. I wish it actually wasn't the case. I wish everybody was super athletic. I wish there was no accounting. But, you know, at the end yeah. of the day, it, yeah, it, it is what it is. It yeah. is as it is. Keeps out of tax for trouble. That's it. Right. Um, I'm probably going to choose the professional baseball player as part of the hunting team. Yeah. And I'm going to pick I'm going to pick the professional football player and the professional basketball. Player. I'm going to pick the athletes. Yeah. Because they're the ones that are going to go out there and they're going to be the most capable of using their bodies to either attack or evade or protect. You know, I mean, it's just, that's, that's how it's going to be. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, being a competent physical human, you know, physical competency, you know, athletic competency or competence. You know, I hope I'm not making up uh, or misusing that 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 term, but let's just say athletic competence. Mm-hmm. Um, I I think is what we're really talking about in in you know in this in this particular um, conversation. Mm-hmm. If if I've got someone who's athletically competent, what they can do is pretty much anything. They can take a movement pattern, which is what we've used for since the dawn of of man to evade or to capture because you've got to run fast 
towards or away from. <laughs> you know, you've got to you've yeah. got to then possibly wrestle or uh, attack or throw an object at or you know use a, a some type of of you know object to to uh, kill. You know what's interesting is an example with how the African uh, warriors will hunt. A lot of people don't understand how hunting's actually done by the by, in this way. And, and what they understand is, is it's it's not that you go out with five guys and you surround a buffalo, you know, and you 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 kill it. What you do is you track it. Mm-hmm. So you go out, you see the animal. And you start moving towards the animal. Well, the animal is not going to hang out typically until you surround it and then kill it. So it sees you coming and it starts moving away. And it continues to do that over and over and over for miles. For miles and miles and miles. And maybe it even runs. It just takes off piece. And then you have to track its Footprints. Mm. So part of the the hunting process in this way is that you just that humans just stay in basic uh, in a consistent, steady paced pursuit over what could be the course of two or three days Mm. until that animal gets tired because quadrupedal animals don't have the capacity to travel at the distance that a bipedal animal does. We're one of the only bipedal animals. Hmm. And that's our, that's our magic. It's our superpower is that we can travel long distances for, for extended periods of time. Whereas a horse can go a certain distance and after a certain period of time, becomes exhausted. It needs to rest mm. because its quadrupedal um, architecture is it's carrying weight on top of its four legs. So it's carrying with four legs all this mass across the earth. And that mass isn't leaning. It's just resting on top of those four base points. Mm. And, a, and a bipedal animal is holding mass on top of two points. And when it wants to move, it leans forward. And as it leans, it catches itself over and over again. Controlled falling. Controlled falling. Mm -hmm. So quadrupedal animals don't control fall. They just carry. So that gets pretty exhausting. That's why an ape cannot travel as far or efficiently as a homo sapien even though we are essentially apes. Once we figured out how to walk upright and off of all fours, we tr- transcended that, 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 um, that burden of carrying body mass over top of all four and not being able to be efficient for a long period of time. So it's part of our magic. So if you think about humans in general, you know, everything about movement for us has to do with survival. Yeah. And then we just turned survival into games. Mm. I like the way that, that, that makes perfect sense. And it also makes sense why, you know, if we're turning survival into games, for example, um, you hear this in modern, like 
Krav Maga mixed martial arts, more in the Krav Maga world, like the self-defense world, yeah. which, which is very manufactured <laughs> in some, de- some degrees. But there's always yeah. this big fight of like, well, sport combat isn't real combat. It isn't real combat. It isn't what it's going to be like on the streets. But if you look at, you know, olden day Olympics, for example, where they had pancreation as a sport, to, a sport, quote unquote, because people got their fingers broken off and died in it. But they had a sport to practice their fighting arts. They, you know, all of the Olympic sports had some degree of war or combat in it. Throwing a javelin was 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 learning how to hunt, for example. And I find it I find it funny that in this day and age, people are trying to discredit sports as a valuable way of being able to protect yourself when sport in the, in its essence came from, what did you call them? Survival arts or did uh, I'm sure. I mean, yeah. I mean, that's sure. fine. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it sounds, sounds well, <laughs> it's, I mean, I mean, as a kid, I stopped martial arts for a little while to be an athlete. Mm because I was going to miss my opportunity in high school to, you know, to participate in athletics if I just stayed purely um, in martial arts training, uh, because, you know, you've got after school practice, it just interferes. So I had a, a, a brief time where it was just, I focused on uh, basketball and soccer and, and tennis. And those were the sports that I really enjoyed. I, I should have wrestled. I would have been Really, you know, it's so funny. I ended up being a great wrestler as an older person. <laughs> you and me both, and, brother. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I didn't, it did, but, I, but for some reason, I had no attraction at that stage to wrestling itself. Um, but I, you know, I look back, and I, in a way, I have, I have this kind of, you know, I try not to regret too much, but I have this thing I'm like, oh man, I, that that would have been a great skill set for me to have had at that stage. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would encourage any kid now, you know, if I had a son, it'd be, Hey, I really, you know, really think you should wrestle as well. If you want to play tennis, you want to play soccer, you want to play basketball, because those other skill sets require something important too. Um, you know, th- th- they are very specific skill sets as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think wrestling, you know, it's just such a primitive ancient, um, you know, original movement pattern construct that, you know, I get it now in a way I didn't get it as a kid because BJJ gave me an ex- a way to experience wrestling in a way for some reason that just looked different. You know, maybe it was the tights. The singlet, man. It's that damn singlet. Maybe, yeah, maybe it's the singlet, um, <laughs> which, you know, I, and really, maybe it, maybe it is that. Maybe it's just that the wardrobe, uh, maybe it was the just the general kind of look and feel of it all. I just didn't get it. I didn't relate to it. And maybe Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, the black belts, the traditional gi, you know, for whatever reason, was just more appealing. Mm. So, it's, so it's interesting how the aesthetic of something can also uh, repel or attract you yeah. as well. So... Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's funny cause Shanji and I had this, uh, we were after Lovato's fight, um, recently, uh, me and Shanji Havera, which, you know, if people don't know, he's, he's one of the, one of the greatest grapplers in the world. Yeah. They're kind of a big deal. They're kind he's, of a big deal. He, he's a pretty big deal. You know? I don't tell him, I tell him he's not, but you know, I don't <laughs> know. But yes, he, he is a pretty, he's a, he's a legend in the sport. So 
you know, I, I, he's one of my teammates. So it's, I get the, I get the, the, um, I'll consider it the privilege, you know, to, to be close to him, uh, as a friend and, and we're talking and, you know, we're a couple, we're a couple tequilas in and <laughs> he wants to be, he's like, I want to, you know, I want to study Budokan, you know, cause he wants to expand his, he's only, he's only ever done Brazilian Jiu Jitsu and striking Muay Thai, you know, like, like some, some striking, but, but mostly it's Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. And he's like, you know, but he's like, but Cameron, you know, why do you guys have a red belt as your first belt? Because, you know, red belt is, is, you know, you achieve your red belt at the end of your life. And I'm like, brother, you've, you, you know, you study one art form, which in, in the Japanese systems, the red belt is traditionally is specifically in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, the red belt is the final. You're done. Mm-hmm. You can't go higher than a red belt. In Taekwondo, it's your, you know, your highest dan, you know, you go 10th degree black belt. The red belt is before the brown belt. Mm-hmm. In Capoeira, you know, there are different sash colors. In Kung Fu, a red sash is not, you know, the, the, like the, each tradition or lineage has a different way of configuring its belts. Yeah. And I'm laughing with Shaj and I'm like, you know, you can't, you're telling me you don't want to, you, you don't want to, or it's not that you don't want to, but you have like this pushback, this resistance to going through your Budokan belt system because red is the first belt and you're, <laughs> and then, Jiu-jitsu, it's the last belt. So you're <laughs> you're freaked out about the fact that you shouldn't be wearing a red belt <laughs> because it's gonna feel like you're somehow, you know, a heretic to so jujitsu. And they're just, you know, it's like saying, you know, I can't eat pork over here in this, you know, because because you know, I live in, you know, I live in Kuwait, and then uh, you know, I I I, I'm, I go to Amsterdam, and I'm like, okay. We don't eat pork in Kuwait. I'm like, well, if you don't eat pork because you're a Muslim, then that's one thing. Yeah. But if you're not a Muslim, you're just like your culture is Kuwaiti culture, mm-hmm. which is hard to separate from Muslim culture. But I'm saying, yeah. say Kuwaiti culture, just you just grew up, you just don't eat pork. Yeah. Nobody eats pork because even though it's Muslim by its nature, let's just say you just don't eat pork. Yeah. And then you go over to Amsterdam and oh, suddenly pork is on the menu and you're like, oh, I don't eat pork. I'm like, but why? Well, because we don't eat pork in Kuwait. Like, I'm like, yeah, but you're in Amsterdam now. <laughs> so, you know, so it's like it's like trying to get people to, you know, remove these obstacles that they can have, you yeah. know, in the way that they sort of see things. Well, even in jujitsu, like, I mean, even Brazilian jujitsu in itself has borrowed so much from. Japanese culture. I mean, in no point in Brazilian culture, up no. until uh, up until Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, were people walking around in kimonos. Like, I mean, there's no kimonos I mean, in Brazil. It, no, it's absurd. No, it's absurd. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and we were having a laugh too because he's like, "Well, why do you wear a belt and you don't wear a kimono?" I'm like, "Why do you wear a kimono?" You know? <laughs> like, you're Brazilian, like, man. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're in Brazil. Why are you wearing a kimono? Because in Japan, kimono is a shirt. <laughs> and that's what a lot of people don't understand is that in Japan, 
your kimono is your fucking shirt. Yeah. That, that's, that's, that's literally it. what you put on in the morning. Yeah. And then you, you wrap your belt around your waist just to keep your shirt closed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, exactly. so I'm like, like, guys, we're making all this up. Mm-hmm. Don't get stuck in the paradigm or the parad or the, the the matrix that you're creating in order to in order to have curriculum and structure because i mean that's why we make all this stuff up we're trying to have some type of structure to operate off of so we can measure progress so we can um, create order out of sort of a what would be chaotic if you just said okay there you know, there are a hundred different submissions and I'm just going to, I'm going to put each one on a, on an index card and I'm just going to throw the fucking whole, you know, uh, stack of cards in the air. And we're just going to learn this way. Here we go. <laughs> just in the air, lands on the floor. Okay. Grab one. Mm-hmm. It's like you and I both know as Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, you know, teachers, you can't teach that way. It's just, it would be a mess. Yeah. So you have to start with a matrix. What did these guys learn first? How do we build a person towards becoming, you know, a proper BJJ fighter, mm-hmm. you know, proper BJJ black belt. So I think the whole thing is, is just, it's just, you know, humans, when it comes to lineage arts, you have a black belt system for a reason. It is designed to progress people in a direction consistently in order to produce a very measurable and consistent outcome. You know, all my black belts should be at a certain level. And I think you and I know this. Mm-hmm. All my blue belts should look very similar. All my purple belts. And that's how I know they're wearing a purple belt. Yeah. What else identifies them as a purple belt except for these qualities? And those qualities get developed through some type of what I call a movement matrix, some type of structured curriculum that you are developing your students through you just it can't be random mm. oh, I, I can tell you right now give me I'll give I'll give someone a person for 12 months give me somebody for 12 months you just teach them randomly you have no you you, you literally cannot teach them anything in order you just have to teach them an arm bar here you have to teach them of this there you have to teach them of that there and I get to go through a structured curriculum process yeah and i'm going to tell you when by the time we're done i can almost guarantee i'm going to have a superior martial artist and so lineage systems have you know this this is sort of um, um a protocol and you mix that protocol with the development of character which by the way is also being lost in a lot of linear lineage systems as well, which is why I created Budokan as an example. Because sometimes people say, you know, why create something new? And I'm like, well, let me be very clear with you. I didn't do it because I thought I could improve martial arts. Mm. 
martial arts is already um, maximized in terms of of its of its efficiency. I mean, look, pre UFC, pre MMA, I don't think anyone thought you could make better martial artists. You're right. I think people pretty much thought you know, if you're a black belt in karate, if you're a highly skilled karate fighter, you're at the maximum potential of of being dangerous. And now we've actually evolved beyond that because what we did was we challenged where the karate fighter would be weak. And so now we've created a more a, a superior a, a fighter athlete than what we had in the past because we've tested now due to proximity of of human culture and civilization now we can actually bring people together and say okay how does judo do against karate yeah does karate do against taekwondo does taekwondo do against muay thai and so now what we've done is we just started blending the things that work from each of those and of course bruce lee probably the most famous person to start that conversation yeah for sure not to say it wasn't started before him but he was the most famous and yeah. well-known individual to popularize that conversation. Yeah, he had a platform for more people to be able to hear it. You know, for sure. most people had to be in the martial arts world to even have that, like even know about it. He was able to speak it in a way that through movies and through his, his, his philosophy, he could speak it to people that weren't even training martial arts, made it a little bit more mainstream, so to speak. Yeah. So if you think about where we've come, we've actually evolved martial arts to a certain degree athletically. But we've regressed it from the perspective of developing character mm. because the more sport oriented it has become, the more we've carved away at the development of individual um, ethic and value, you know, personal values and personal, personal, um, uh, you know, character, uh, just like the kind of the kind of qualities that you know you, you would expect to see in a person who is in 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 all respects a killer mm -hmm. a warrior a dangerous samurai walking the streets do you want that guy to be a rough underdeveloped emotionally weak or fragile uh, individual, you no. know, do you want that person, do you want that person to be, um, with that kind of skill to be capable of just flying off the handle and hurting someone? No, because you're training these human beings literally in how to hurt another person. That's, that's the, let's be very clear with what our sport does we train people in how to inflict damage upon another person either in a self-defense capacity or an all-out assault capacity mm -hmm. doesn't matter bottom line is the the the, the, the principal uh, curriculum is to damage a person and with that being said there's a lot of responsibility that comes with that. So one should be mature.
emotionally, physically, intellectually, when they're given a weapon that is that dangerous. You know, I had a, um, that, that's a good point. I had a guy who was a Dutch kickboxer um, coach and he really good at what he did, really good at producing these like hard nose, you know, take a kick, return kick guys. And they're basically Kyokushin guys with gloves on. This is essentially what I look at, like a lot of Dutch kickboxers, very tough, very good at what they did. And I asked them about like, you know, what is, what is your approach to like character development? And his approach was more along the lines of, well, if you stick around with this long enough, you become emotionally resistant. You learn life skills through, you know, being pushed through your practice. And I'm like, that doesn't seem like a very intentional way of teaching character development. That seems like, oh, if by accident you learn how to be a better person, <laughs> awesome. Exactly. You know, exactly. but, but otherwise that's not my, yeah. my focus. Yeah, this is, yeah, we're just kind of, we're just going to hope for the best on this. <laughs> yeah, we're hoping like, to turn to gonna... a psychotic, dangerous person on the street, but. No, your, your point is perfectly made. It, it, it's, it's, I'm, I'm sorry, but that's, that's a bit, uh, that's a bit irresponsible, mm -hmm. in my opinion, to simply um, hope that through the practice, one becomes, uh, you know, developed enough to see oneself in a, in a deep, um, you know, in a, in a deep way that, that would develop emotional uh, maturity and, and capacity to, you know, to, to, to not use your weapons, you know. Mm. Um, I when I when I was I want to just I want to return for a second. When I was creating Budokan, I thought to myself, "You can't improve on martial arts. It's it's you know it's doing what it's doing and it's and it works. But you can bring back." the concept of development of a full person, because that's not something that is, that, that, that's not something that is easy to find anymore. And I would even, I would even be as bold to say that it's something that's being slowly phased out because the more we're looking for customers, the less we're looking for students. Yes. And customers demand things and customers feel privileged and students are in service and students know their place is, it's a privilege to be there learning from their teacher. Not, I paid for this, so I have these rights based on the, the exchange between customer and vendor, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? And so the development of Budokan was very specific in its design. I was looking to create a way to, to bring back in a modern context, the, the development of an entire person through martial arts um, curriculum training. So I never thought I could improve what the, the fight game 
but I felt that I was fully capable of improving the what was being offered in a modern context around martial arts. And I, I will say this, and I say this very confidently. I challenge people, I challenge anybody to go out and find a, a martial arts school that focuses so much of its curriculum on the development of a person as we do. Mm. I challenge, I, I, and I say that with complete humility. I don't mean it in an arrogant way. I just mean that because Budokan is new, it's 20 years old, because I created it, and I created it with the intention for it to become a, a, a full, you know, a full and complete system of personal development. I have control of that. Mm-hmm. It's not in the hands of thousands of people with <clears throat> different ideas. And it's not that the founder is dead and has no influence. It's like, here I am. Here's what it is. And I have complete control of that on a daily basis until I die. And hopefully I've done a good enough job to get my black belts educated enough to pass it on as close to what my vision of it is as possible. Mm. Um, your, um, your focus on like just the exploration of human conscious was some, consciousness was something that really attracted me to the art, not to mention the movement. The movement is sure, amazing, sure, sure. but the human consciousness aspect of it, you know, who you're becoming as a result of what you're doing was really um, impactful for me. In your exploration of like human consciousness, are there any new, are there any new paradigms, if any, that shifted your perspective as of recent? Like, is there any information that you read or or discovered in the last couple of years? You're like, oh man, that's really changed the way I look at the way the human condition is. I don't know if anything. I mean, there are always interesting. There are always interesting uh, scientific discoveries that we're making that either are validating someone's hypothesis. You know, a lot of people have hypothesis about why we do certain things, and they've had them for long periods of time. But they haven't been – sometimes they haven't had the, the academic um, – they haven't had the academic world test them mm-hmm. and then give them then, – then give them, uh, you know, real, real credence. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Uh, because they're, they're more of a person's quote-unquote opinion. When you – when you start to when you start to to be able to academically demonstrate through through proper um, you know proper uh, studies and what what starts to come out is an example of a new study um, talking about monogamy 
and and the more that that we're 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 learning about monogamy, we're realizing that women aren't monogamous either. Mm. You know, everybody always talks about men not being monogamous. You know, <laughs> men just aren't naturally monogamous. Men just aren't naturally. Women aren't naturally monogamous either. So neither sex is naturally monogamous. It doesn't have an inclination to be. But the old the old thinking was, oh, well, it's only men. Mm. So more and more information is coming out through solid academic studies through you know real real tested science that that men cheat and women cheat equally and that there's no there's really no difference in 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 that does that make sense? Yeah. You know, so there's an example of information that's coming out because you might say, well, what does that have to do with martial arts if you're listening to this? But uh, again, what we're, what I'm, what Buck and I are trying to share with you guys is that with Budokan, we don't teach pure you know, martial arts as just a fighting construct. We teach uh, the development of human conscience, conscious through and through martial arts as one of our movement paradigms. So it's we're 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 teaching people to experience their conscious their 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 consciousness, their their who am I, what am I, why am I through martial arts. Mm. So so one of the questions that come up for you in the discovery of self is your sexuality. Huge topic. Another one is yeah, who am I who am I in relationship? Sexually, who am I relationship with my friends, my family, my students? I mean, whatever. It's just you know, who who am I being? And sexuality is just one of those ways of being. So you can't you can't separate it from the overall picture. Yeah. So in Budokan, do we have discussions on sexuality? Of course, you have to. Yeah, and even fighters, I, you know, like. Even if a person's main goal is like, I want to be a better, better fighter, the understanding that these things are not separate entities that, you know, yes, you could be a world beater in the gym, but bottom line is if your finances are crap and your, your personal relationship, the woman that you see every single day, if your relationship with that person or man, depending on who you're dating, um, if that relationship is, is on rocky surface, then it's going to affect everything you do, including how you step into the cage. And I mean, I've been at the corner with guys where they've done everything right in their camp, everything, but they step in the ring and their head is completely somewhere else. They're thinking about breaking up with their girlfriend. They're thinking about how they're going to pay their bills and, you know, not exploring those things is, is dishonest as a fighter. You know, even if you're only thinking about performance, right? Yeah, it's very interesting, but it's so true. It's, 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 uh, to your point, it is the quintessential um, completeness of a warrior, you know, to be to be physically, intellectually, and emotionally present in that moment. It has to be because if one of those is missing, if I'm not emotionally present, you know, that's your spirit. That's that part of you that's like got to, you know, has got to feel something greater than what's just occurring. Mm. 
because the only thing that's occurring is a fight. Yeah. Your your emotions get to get to sort of in a way you get to make it mean something. And if it doesn't mean anything, why are you even there? Mm. And then intellectually, I've got to have this this acumen, this skill, right, to be there, to, to do everything and execute it um, and make good decisions. If 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 my team, if we've agreed that this is my fight plan and I go in there and fight a different plan. And I've seen, you know, we've seen guys do that. You know, um, Eddie Alvarez went in there to fight Conor McGregor and he was going to he was going to take him down. He was going to do this and doing that. And uh, suddenly he was getting punched in the face. And change of plans. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 and he 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 literally didn't. If you watch that fight, he literally did not do anything he's known for. He tried to have us. He tried to have a boxing match with a longer, faster striker, you know, and, and it ended up that he got knocked out. It was very simple, straightforward. Yeah. You know, he couldn't figure out how to, I mean, Chad Mendez did a much better job, who's a smaller, even smaller guy yeah. at taking Connor down and making him fight his game. Yeah. Than Alvarez did, who literally just went literally off his fight plan and d d you didn't even know who that guy, you know, who, who's, who's that? this dude? Yeah. Who's who? this dude? Yeah. He's like, you know, and, uh, you know, or, or Jose Aldo, who at the end of the day, I think he did fight his fight plan and his fight plan was to go in there and knock Connor's head off and the opening, you know, <laughs> opening, the opening, well, opening of the fight, he saw a moment, he stepped in, he threw it, Connor threw it, and they both got hit in the face. I don't yeah. know if you remember that moment. Yeah, they both got hit. They both got hit, and Connor's just longer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's it, and, and, and that's, I mean, because that's how it goes. Yeah. You know, a lot of people say, oh, is this, that? I was like, no, Connor's longer. Connor had a little more reach, yeah. and, he, and he penetrated that with that punch a little bit more, but he ate Jose's punch too. Yeah, yeah, he just got there cleaner first. <laughs> he got there first and cleaner. Yeah. But at the end of the day, that could have gone either way. Half a second, a millisecond even. Yeah. Jose had got there so, a millisecond earlier. Who knows, yeah, right? So I, you know, yeah. Did Jose fight his fight? I think he did. But I think, as an example, Alvarez did not. So, But that's the intellectual skill to be, to be in there doing what you're told to do and what you've trained to do. And don't change it simply because some things aren't aren't moving the way fight camp did because in fight camp most of the time your fight partners are going to fight in a way they're going to they're going to mold themselves into being what you need them to be mm -hmm. for that fight okay we're fighting a left-handed guy and he likes to throw a lot of overhands he likes to throw a lead hook da -da -da. and so you become that guy and then when you get in with the real guy <laughs> he doesn't do that exactly the way your your you know your your teammates are doing it. You know, suddenly you're you're like, oh, uh, you start fighting different. Yeah, and and that's dangerous because those aren't your skill sets. Yeah, I, I you know, I, I think this kind of speaks to this idea of being a more um, having a more robust mobility pro profile if you will, or movement profile, because I, I, you know, from your own experience, I'm sure 
being able to move in various different ways also makes your mind move in a more adaptable and malleable pattern so that you're not fighters and, and it makes martial arts for example these days tend, tend to game plan against the guy like okay this is the way this guy's going to fight so we're going to fight this way exactly rather, rather yeah. than being malleable and molding into whatever the environment is and having these that that kind of skill set i found yeah. just through the movement practices of doing things like you know handstands and animal locomotion a lot of the stuff that we're working with there that it's, yeah. it's forced my brain to be more adaptable and malleable to different things that are happening in front of me and then have to deal with my own emotions in, in response to that. Like if things aren't going well, I'm trying to do a handstand and I'm falling around. You know, am I, am I having this self-talk like I suck and I can't do this thing? Or can I, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like can I get through that yeah. fucking handstand? It's just a fucking handstand, but. Well, exactly what you're doing is, of course, uh, as you as you know, as, as a great teacher you are, uh, you're, you're, you're just adding to your toolbox and you're giving yourself more options and those options are giving you more uh, that, that, that more variety and and more answers because you know uh, I think that that's the thing when you when you're fighting somebody who's got so many skill sets you know you don't have a lot of answers if you don't have the same skill sets. Mm. You know, as an example, you know, jujitsu, you got a guy who's just an, a beast at, at, at back takes mm -hmm. or these days is a, is a, is a, is a, you know, an, a leg hunter, mm -hmm. you know, just, and you don't know anything about the leg game or you don't know anything about really defending the back in that way. And, you know, you don't have that physical skill set to adapt to it. And, you know, well, there you are, you know, there you are. And it's, it's, it's so it's at, at this stage of the game, what's making everybody, you know, really level up is that as people become more masterful in so many areas of the fighting arts, which a lot of people don't understand is divided up into academic areas, mm. their leg locks. They're, you know, back specialists, they're mount specialists, side control specialists, bottom specialists, striking, you know, guy, you know, in the striking game, there's legs, I mean, you know what I mean? And so uh, these days, it's like you really have to go deep into every area and, and, and capture as much knowledge as possible. Uh, to, in order to be adaptable mm. to whatever, as you said, if the game changes, it's okay. I play that game too. Yeah, I'm getting. <laughs> you know, I'm good at the. Uh, I'm good at the. I'm a master at the art of adaptability. <laughs> well, and that's and that's Budokan to me specifically. Somebody said to me the other day, he's like, you know, how do how do we explain Budokan? I said, look, we're like a triathlete, a triathlon. We're, we're basically, I said, what is a triathlete? They're like, oh, they, they, they run, they swim, they cycle. Mm -hmm. I said, okay, um, what do we do in Budokan? Well, we do martial arts, we do yoga, we do calisthenics. I said, okay, what happens if we don't do yoga? Is it Budokan? And I'm like, no. <laughs> what happens if you don't run, if you're in a triathlon? You're not, you're not in a triathlon. You're in a biathlon. <laughs> you're, you're in a biathlon, <laughs> yeah. correct. So as a, as a, as a Budokan practitioner, that's what's crucial to understand is we are a triath triathletic um, 
movement system. So calisthenics is body weight control and training. And I throw in mobility into that. And I throw animal locomotion into that. And I throw, you know, um, rings, bars, you know, groundwork. And then in a yoga, we're, we're because the, over there in calisthenics, we're dealing with strength mm-hmm. and deep range of motion strength, awkward position strength. Because calisthenics is, I mean, imagine a gymnast holding an iron cross. It's a pretty unusual position to be holding your body off the ground. Then you move into um, yoga, which is restorative. It's focus and concentration. It's slowing down to look at where the body is not responding in terms of range of motion. It's mm-hmm. flexibility you know, training at, 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 in, a, in a very concentrated way. Then you move into martial arts and of course, agility, timing, rhythm, speed, you know, all those things that you get out of moving, you know, at, 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 you know, at high rates of speed to achieve certain results. So we're a triathlon and that's what makes it Budokan. So if you took one of those away, you just wouldn't have the same art form, mm. you know, and then, with our character development program, which is the mind science work, because we have move, movement science and mind science, you have all that on top of that. So being able to be agile, a triathlete, is what I'm, I'm loving about what I'm seeing in our fighters. So Rafael you know, Lovato is a great example of a guy who is a perfect example of what Budokan is. He's a martial artist. He's a practicing yogi. He's a practicing calisthenics, you know, um, um, uh, practitioner. That's the best way to say it. But and and he gets it, and that's why he comes, and that's why he comes to do the work because he gets it. Yeah, man, it's a beautiful thing you got going on, brother. I'm glad to be a part of it. Well, I'm super happy to have you as a part of it. You're a fantastic, uh, you're a fantastic student and a fantastic teacher. So it's um, it, it, it makes uh, for it to be a real joy to get to work with you, and uh, and then to have these conversations where we can sort of, you know, discuss what what is what is uh, you know what's unfolding out there in the martial arts world. What's unfolding in the movement world? Cause so much talk about movement, movement, movement. Mm-hmm. It's like guys. Look, if, if you want to ask me how, and, and this is going to sound probably a little dickish, but you know, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm not, uh, I'm not one to shy away from, from dick. <laughs> that, probably, that probably came out wrong, but it's okay. <laughs> yes, hey, that's hey. going to be the sound bite to start the podcast. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid of um, But you know, if somebody says to me, "How do you know your yoga?" You know, let's talk about you know, this is not real yoga. That's not real yoga. Or, How do you know your yoga? I'm like, dude, let's go over to the mat and take a look at my yoga and your yoga. Because because that that gets worked out over there. Let's fight about it. Mm. Because the most essential, the most important and powerful application of any movement construct 
is combat. Mm. Period. So you want to know how good you are? We'll go over there and we'll fight about it. How's your yoga? Well, let's go over there and fight about it. How's your mobility? Let's go over there and fight about it. How's your calcine? Let's go over there and fight about it. Because mm. if I can't go over there and put it into action in order to survive with it, in order to thrive with it, what is its use? Because you drop people on it. You know, it's just like this. People right now don't even know how to produce their own food. Drop you on an island, you fucking starve to death. So it's kind of like, what's the most essential thing to know as a human being? Well, right now we would try to convince everybody that it's to know how to operate a smartphone. <laughs> but if that shit went away in an instant, there'd be some starving fucking you know helpless humans out there because they don't know how to do the essential things of being this human animal this homo sapien they don't know how to create their own food they don't know how to survive and protect themselves or whatever they're doing and you know basically we're just dude humans are one just one bad decision away at any moment from it, from annihilation, mm. from, you know, from, from some type of, you know, uh, complete, you know, destruction of, of, of everything that, that we just take for granted. You know, why do you have running water? Why do you have, uh, you know, electricity? Why do you have food just show up <laughs> shelf, you know, packaged and ready to go? You know, all this is just a delicate system that operates that at any moment could be destroyed. So understanding how to survive and essentially knowing how to apply everything that you do towards some, you know, some some um, ability um, to me is, is and that might sound, maybe it's just my generation, but it's just like, what are you going to do with that skill set? It's like, what can you do with that? It's like, oh, I know how to, I know how to program a computer. Well, great, except what happens when there's not one of those, you know? Yeah. Like, how do you, how do you function when, you know, so in other words, I think we learn a lot of skill sets that are very date, time and date sensitive. You know, there. You know, my great 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 grandfather probably knew how to change a wagon wheel too. <laughs> Not very applicable right now. Yeah, I mean, when, and so that, so, yeah, so that information, that <laughs> that skill set, you know, <laughs> you know, unless unless you know that that transitions forward into okay, a wagon wheel becomes of this and this because and I understand, you know, I'm understanding that, but at the end of the day, information has an expiration date on it. But there are certain things that don't. And that's how you make food, grow food, you know, create it. That's how you survive. You fight, you live, you love, you parent. You know, things that are essential, that never go away. I don't give a shit what happens to culture. These are essential things that are present in 
your ability to survive, even if I put you in the wilderness, you know, that you're still going to be okay. And one of them is warfare. And that's just a fact. And so if you don't have, you know, if you don't have that um, skill set and understand that everything else you do could be applied or could be uh, sort of retooled to be used in that capacity, I just don't see the value of it ultimately, it, other than what you might learn from, you know, it'd be like saying, okay, I've, I've, I've practiced yoga, but I've never practiced yoga with any inclination to use it in, in, in the art of war. And it's like, okay, so you know how to be flexible. You know how to be, you know how to be um, still. Mm-hmm. You know how to, you know, you know how to, to, to hold a shape and breathe and move through it. Excellent. Now, how does that get used in your relationships? How does that get used in your craft? How do you use that um, in, you know, in a complete way? And one of those ways is in examining and in uh, becoming skillful with your violence. Every human's violent. So we have an inclination to be peaceful when we have an inclination to be violent. And if you ignore one of those and overdevelop the other, you end up being out of balance and you end up being, you know, socially, even socially dangerous because people pleasing is dangerous. It's as dangerous as being disagreeable. And this is why you make your yogis do martial arts. Exactly. Because if, if you want to develop a person and they are and they're just stuck in people pleasing, that guy can become a really dangerous individual because they don't know how to speak. They don't know how to express. They don't know how to stand. They don't know how to disagree. Mm. And so what they end up is being sort of um, sometimes silently, silently, dangerously violent. Mm. Um, and then an individual who is expressing violence all the time without the examination of peace is so used to being violent that they don't know how to step into that role of sort of, you know, stillness. It's okay. I don't have to, I don't have to control every moment. I don't have to make every moment be exactly as I wish it to be. Because not every moment is to be the way I want it to be, <laughs> you yeah. know. And, and so it's like, and that's very martial arts. I'm going to make this be the way I want it to be. And yoga is, I'm just, I'm going to let it be as it is, because I've accepted that it is as it is. And over here, I'm like, well, fuck is. I'm going to make it is as I want it to be. Mm. So those that 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 dance between those two positions is very important development for people. So that's, that's, you know, obviously what we're, you know, hyper-focused on um, in our practice, in our style. But right now we're just in a place where we're developing a new art form 
and we were bringing together the best technology that's available. I feel like I'm Tesla, you know, it's a little Elon Musk in the sense of, uh, you know, cars already existed, uh, batteries exist. I'm trying to grab a little bit of everything that's that we know we can use instead of saying no. It's it's all about this idea. Instead of saying no, it's 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 really a collaboration of everything of of everything we've learned up to this point. Mm. We can't go beyond this point because we don't know what we don't know yet. But we can't ignore the past because it's gotten us here. So let's just sort of take. Um, what we know, what we're learning, as you said, what science has come out, what, we've, what we're learning about human violence, about human love and sexuality and, and, and human relation, you know, the way we think and feel, all this information that's really coming out. And um, um, we're, we're, we're getting really clear on these things that we, again, we used to have just sort of hypotheses about. Oh, I th- you know, it feels like this is a pattern. It's like, well, now it's, it's proven that it's not just a pattern, it's an actual reoccurring, you know, uh, um, thing that is, that is, that we're witnessing because it is an isness thing. Mm. It's not some individual's perspective because they just happen to be paying attention. Mm. And a book like, as an example, Sapiens, um, which is uh, a great read, is sort of gotten everybody you know, on the page of like, wow, this is where the, you know, I didn't realize that, you know, humans are this violent and that we've literally wiped out, you know, everything around us in order to accommodate our comforts and space. Like we've literally destroyed, homo sapiens have destroyed everything that is causing us any dissatisfaction. You know, oh, you know, um, we need to live here. Well, there's tigers that won't kill the tigers. Hmm. We need to live here. Oh, there's rat. Oh, killed them. It's like humans, like we don't see that because we see our safety and our comfort first. Mm-hmm. We don't see that, you know, we don't see ourselves living in amongst and within the space of other animals. We see ourselves clearing out the other animals and making our space. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, uh, Human, human way. <laughs> very different, yeah. very different perspective. So, and it's costing us the extinction of almost, you know, every, you know, every interesting animal besides us on the planet. You know, there's just, it's just, there's like, there's just like a few thousand of lots and lots of really important creatures on the planet because there's just, you know, limited, limited space that we've, you know, we've, we've sort of, um, um, you know, we've, we've quarantined them too from our expansion, but you know, whatever humans are dicks. So yeah. I, you know, I, just, I mean, that's just it. We're, we're just, we're just really self-obsessed fuckers and, and we don't want to talk about population control. We only want to, you know, we want to, we want to, we want to talk about, we want to act like because we're religious, because we believe that there's some, you know, thing in the sky that's given us some divine right to just come and fuck up the planet. And that's what we operate off of. We don't want to talk about the fact that we're just an overpopulated, hairless ape. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's just the, the you know, I've been saying this for years and years and years and years. And it's like, you know, and I've been fighting 
I've been fighting against religious uh, people and, uh, you know, yogi, religious, you know, yogis and just people just with all kinds of ideas about how the world is and that aren't really in, in harmony. They're not, they're not really uh, in, in any way in, in harmony with what is occurring. It's their, 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 their constructs they've created. And then they're trying to, they're trying to make the world fit around them. You know, religion is such a fucking construct that you that people are tr- that people that people try to a construct that people try to make the world fit around. It's not religion is not living in harmony with the world. Religion is this is how the world needs to operate according to us. Mm-hmm. It's not observation of nature and then working with how nature behaves. It's it's no, this is how it is, and then everything has to accommodate. Yeah. You know? And I guess that's and, where that warrior the over, you know, people like to use the terms like masculine, feminine, which I think are way too weighted because it gets people a little bit emotionally charged. But the warrior and yogic philosophy of like, you know, warrior is I'm going to make it happen versus it's masculine. Yogi yes, is masculine. Yes. It's considered masculine. And more feminine. Exactly. The, yeah. That masculine, that masculine approach of, to your point, exactly of, of I'm going to make it this way. This is how it's going to be. And the feminine, well, oh, let's accommodate. Let's just, let's, everybody, let's, let's hold space for everybody. So the problem is you can be too accommodating Mm -hmm. and you can be too demanding. And those are, that's that balance. And that's the work of, uh, you know, that sort of that Budokan practice for us. It's a big focal point of our practice. It's just how we it's how we communicate, you know, our, our sort of our intention. Mm. And I'm not saying that doesn't exist in other consciousness studies, mm. other, other, you know, Buddhism and Taoism and other places where you're, you're just studying uh, balance. But it's definitely a conversation we have a lot. Yeah, you know? definitely. My, some of my favorite parts, man, in the mind science when we, when oh, we yeah. go to your weekends, I, I dig it, <laughs> yeah. I dig it, man. Get deep, getting deep into all of our, all of our story, yeah, you know, so understand. much narrative by us and then getting, so, you know, my students like to call me the destroyer because I'm, I'm very, you know, very much of, of, I like to destroy beliefs and ideas and all these, you know, people come in, I, you know, I believe in love and I'm like, well, yeah, love's made up. <laughs> yes. You know, I believe in it. Well, that's made up. Yeah. Well, I believe in marriage. It's made up. Yeah. I believe in, you know, forgiveness. That you made that up too. And then when I get people to that zero point, which is just just complete destruction of and there's just nothing, then we get to go from nothingness into okay, so knowing that you've made everything up, what are you going to do with that? Mm. You know, where are we going to work from? You know, for, you know, now, but now that you've now that your whole world is sort of destroyed because, you know, we have to we 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 need beliefs. We just need to understand that they're beliefs. Yeah. We need them. We need them, but we need to understand what they are. 
And too often, we're given beliefs as facts. And very, very, very often, beliefs are not factual. You call it scaffolding Scaffolding in one of your podcasts. Like, like beliefs are kind of like a, a, a structure that we built in order to build something, but it's not the thing itself. That's it. It's just this entire body of, of, of opinion and meaning and belief you've just built around the core of you because the core of you at the end of the day is just an empty building that you just fill with stuff Mm. you know and so the scaffolding is just like just you know like a way to you know surround the building with all this um these layers of, 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 it's just an analogy. It doesn't mean anything, but it's just like giving people sort of a visual of like, what's, you know, what's inside me is just, just this hollow, empty body of potentiality. Mm -hmm. And then what's, what I'm building on the outside is all of this opinion, perspective, and narrative, and story, and all that. And sometimes it's in the way of my, my real essence. Yeah. So if I understand that belief is something I fabricate, if I understand that belief is something that I have control over, that I, I'm, I'm, I'm a co-author of, I have more power to manifest and be in the co-creative process. Mm. That's, that's, you know. Yeah. I, I, um, and then I could talk to you forever, but I know we all have lives outside of this, but one thing that I wanted to kind of, um, thank you for was using the, the usage of the word of construct. Cause that seems to be a word that has popped up quite a bit in my life in the last year. And I'm a big movie fanatic. I love sci-fi and, and comic book stuff because it's, they're like these archetypical characters that kind of live through a live, they live aspects of us through a, you know, a false narrative that allows us to explore different aspects of ourselves. So like um, the show Westworld, for example, where everybody's a robot and they have these like the construct of consciousness that they've kind of, well, they created what these, these constructs, these narratives inside of themselves that they live through. And when you're looking at the show, you're like, they're talking about robots living narratives, but who they're really talking about is us. And the wonderful thing about that is like, since we understand it, it's like the construct world has become very powerful for me because it's like, if we're created all this shit anyway, if it's not even that real, then we can also create whatever the hell we want from that. Exactly. But we have to deconstruct these things that we've perhaps been slaves to first in order to move yeah. forward in an empty space. I really love that analogy. So thank you for that. Yeah, man, I tell you what, if, if we continue to, if we continue to have a belief, and, and you'll hear this a lot in the world of life coaching, if you have a belief that, and, and all beliefs have something in common, mm-hmm. it, it, there's, a, there's only a small exception to this statement. But most beliefs have in common a limitation because a belief is not an infinite construct. It's a finite construct. It has sort of boundaries, if you will. Mm -hmm. It has borders. 
if you, so, so the only sort of, the only contradiction to this is, is that I believe that belief is completely possible. And you know, I, I believe that I can, I believe that I can make up anything I want. Mm-hmm. That's sort of the, you know, someone, someone, the old statement is, you know, I'm going to give you three wishes and, you know, someone wishes for something, someone wishes for something. The one person, wish, I wish for infinite wishes. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, okay, I wish to be able to just continue to wish. And it's like, you know, there, there is a, always a way around the system. Sure. In, in a way, so it's like, belief is fine. As long as you understand that belief is something you have control over. And that you understand that every belief, with every belief comes some limitation to that belief. So it's like, oh, I believe I can do anything, but you can't do anything. Mm-hmm. That's not accurate. You know, I believe I can be, I can be the first, you know, I can, I believe I can be the first African American, you know, whatever. It's like, but you're, you're not black. You, you know what I mean? I mean, I mean, I, I'm being absurd, but it's yeah, true. Yeah, yeah. Because you, you, I, you, I don't give a fuck what you say. <laughs> you can't just be everything that you say you can be. Yeah. yeah I'm sorry. It's just not that way. And, <laughs> especially and, black. I'm kidding. Especially, <laughs> I want to be black. You know, it's like, uh, but you're Mexican. Nice. You know, and yeah. Like you could be the first Mexican president. You know, blah blah blah. So. It's, it's, mm-hmm. so sometimes people just, you know, they don't understand that belief is limited because it's belief and that's what makes it limited. Mm. What's unlimited is witness. You can just sit and witness anything. There's no limitation of witnessing because it just is observation. And you just go left, you go right. But belief is I'm going left for this reason. Mm. I'm going right for that reason. I'm going left because I'm trying to create this or right because I'm trying to create that. Those are di- this is a very different thing. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So it's a bit of a mind fuck. It's kind of playing. What you're doing is you're playing with the absolute and the relative. You know, relative, you know, there are relative rules. You know, you're not going to walk through that wall. Mm-mm. Absolutely. Yes, we're all made of matter. Matter has space between it. You know, there, there are, you know, th- there's, there's no solid object on the planet if you're going to play the absolute game. Yes. And yet, in a relative manner, you're not walking through that wall. Mm. Not yet. No, th- not. Hey, <laughs> hey, until I see it. Fuck off. You know what I mean? So I tell you, oh, what about da da da? I'm like, bro, you know, there are things that people, you know, what about people that can move, move energy and, and light, fire? And of course they can, because it's, it's a very, it's, it's a very straightforward, you're using, you're using a, a available energy in the body to heat up your, the palm of your hand mm. or to create a barrier of energy in the palm of your hand to stop an object from penetrating it. But that's limited. Yeah. You can't project. This isn't the X-Men. You can't project that 10 feet away, pick someone up and move them across the yeah. room. I mean, you're not the dark because, Phoenix. Yeah. Well, you, because you don't have, you don't have, you don't have, you're not enough energy source to do that. Mm. There's just, you don't, you don't create enough power wattage to project energy that far away from the center of the power. Yeah. 
And it's that simple. It's just science. Yeah. It's not even a big deal. It's like, <laughs> it's like can, can, can people levitate? Probably. But how high? Not that high. Yeah. Like, can you create some force under you to push away from the floor? Yeah. Maybe a, you know, half an inch. Mm-hmm. Maybe whatever. But is it possible? Sure. Why not? It's, it's just transfer. It's, it's, it's distribution of energy. Mm-hmm. And, and can you do it? I, I don't see why not. So, but, but to what degree can right. you execute these skill sets? Yeah. You know, and again, they're pretty scientific skill sets. They're not, they're not, they're not as abstract as they sound. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's not really that abstract. Yeah. And they're also not as readily accessible. Otherwise, everyone would be levitating and projecting fireballs halfway from their, an inch right. from their finger, right? Like, Because it's a skill set you have to develop through a very, very difficult process of of concentration and effort. Just like, I mean, fuck, dude, I can't move my own pinky toe on my foot. You know what I mean? (laughs) I mean, you know what I mean? Like, give me a fucking break. Think about it right now. Like, try to move your the toe between your pinky toe and the other like by itself you can't even do that no. so now i'm supposed to move energy around and levitate i don't think so so it's kind of like <laughs> let's start like, with the pinky toe bro <laughs> we, have very, you know, we have a very crude ability to even control this gross matter that we walk around in yeah or walk around as yeah so yeah. you know i always i always make jokes with people but i'm like dude <laughs> Don't overestimate yourself, my friend. <laughs> you can apply that, apply that, that, that fine middle. Like, don't, under, don't underestimate yourself to the point where you can't reach your potential, and don't overestimate yourself and think that you can walk through walls. You know, it's got to be exactly. I mean, yeah, line. dude. Yeah, I mean, look, look. Even the Dalai Lama does the pee pee dance. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, I don't give a fuck. That's a t-shirt, bro. How, how powerful you are. Yeah, he's doing the pee-pee dance just like anybody else going, oh, oh shit, I got to pee. You know, oh, oh, I got a little tummy. I got a shit today. Oh, I've got diarrhea. I mean, dude, you know what I mean? Like, you know, so they go, oh, I'm... I mean, bro, you know, if you can walk on water, motherfucker, you sure ain't worried about diarrhea. You know what I mean? Like, like, so please, I'm I'm just like, I don't want to hear that shit. (laughs) I can tell you right now, (laughs) the capacity to, you know, to just sort of, uh, 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 you know, traverse the, you know, the the surface of of a lake. I can tell you right now, I sure as, uh, I doubt I'd be dealing with, um, you know, with in, uh, constipation. You know, it's just yeah. like, it's like, please, you know, it don't, I don't want to hear that shit. You know, Buddha died of food poisoning. You know, <laughs> if if there was a Jesus, you know, you know, he was, you know, he 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 was put on a cross if if that's true, and and killed just like anybody. Everybody bleeds the same. Yeah. Apparently, apparently. Even, you know, even uh, the, the, the most powerful people on the planet can't stop, uh, you know, can't stop, you know, violence. It's like, you know, because everybody we've ever looked up to in that way has died in some violent way. Some way, isn't that? Yeah, you know? it's interesting, right? It's, yeah, so yeah. it's like, I'm sorry, I thought these were, you know, how all-powerful can you be if you <laughs> die just like everybody else? <laughs> Point. It's a very, very good point, man. Yeah, I'm like, I'm, I'm just, I just, like I said, my students call me the destroyer. I just destroy all these notions and these sort of these fantastical, 
imagine imaginings and in, in fairy tales. Oh, but what about well, we believe I'm like I'm like, can you prove that? Do you have any evidence? I'm like, well, no, but I've heard do until you can literally demonstrate that as as some type of accurate, you know, uh, demonstrable or provable um statement or fact or, or, or occurrence, you, you basically are just perpetuating, you know, folktale. Mm. And that's all this stuff is. So I think, we, you know, we could go forever, but in closing, I wanted to, on that note of like, you know, belief systems and whatnot, I am currently wearing a shirt of yours that says, fuck Budokan. <laughs> yes. I'm currently wearing that this shirt. Accurate. That, by the way, I bought from your store. So this is not <laughs> like someone mocking you or whatever. This is actually from your own store, from your That's own true. mind. That's In closing, true. could you explain to me what was the impetus of this idea? Because I think it's brilliant. Yeah, you know, I, I, it started with fuck Cameron Shane. <laughs> really? <laughs> and that's true. Yeah, that's true. I, I made about, I don't know how many of those shirts I made. I probably made, I probably printed about 20 of them uh-huh. and gave them out. And they're kind of a collector's item now. I gave them out. I was going through this whole thing in the yoga world where I had come out uh, and I said, and I was arguing in the defense of teachers dating students. And that was a very controversial position because it was like there was this old yogic um, sort of uh, um, this traditional body of thinkers who were like yoga is religious and you're a guru and then you have your disciples and then there was this new body of thinkers that was this uh, you know sort of modern construct of I'm sorry but modern day yoga is a fitness construct it's people coming together in a fitness environment doing doing you know they're moving but there there's no religiosity to it at all so for you to date your teacher um if this is a consent two consenting adults meeting in a yoga class teacher student 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 teacher teacher i don't give a shit i was just like there's nothing in the world uh as far as i can i can you know i mean yes does it create complexity? Sure. Mm. So is dating your boss. Uh, or, or by the way, so does a poor person dating a rich person. Mm-hmm. So does a person coming from one side of the tracks who's dating a person from the other side of the tracks. So is a black person dating a white person. You want to, I'll give you a goddamn list of, 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 of relationships that are complicated because of social bullshit. And, and the fact that people aren't well-developed, so they don't know how to navigate them. Yeah. So, you know, all I can say is that when, you know, if you're a white person dating a black person and you're like, oh, man, I'm just I'm just really nervous about how people's, people are going to look at us. And, and how, how, how are you going to deal with that? You know what I mean? How do you address that? Because you can't. You, that's that's this individual's unresolved issue about about not about not being accepted and and it's got nothing to do with you you just happen to be another catalyst for that conversation in their life mm. you know so so fuck Budokan is is like so for me I was just like fuck you guys I was like fuck and, and so I, the joke was fuck Cameron Shane so the joke was 
I'm getting fucked by everybody in the yoga community who's like so up in arms about my about me as a prominent yoga teacher taking the stand for this sort of really counter culture perspective. Even though it was very fucking honest and everybody was dating each other. Yeah. Teachers were dating like it was just going on anyway. And I was just the first person to say, well, what's the, yeah. it's like, you're the first person to say, let's legalize marijuana. And everybody's like, oh my God, you're the, you're, you're horrible. You're going to destroy our, our state. Because mm-hmm. you're the person advocating for legalizing this, this wacky weed, this dangerous, you know, it's like, shut the fuck up. You, you know, so, so I just put, I just put fuck Cameron Shane because I was getting fucked by everybody. Mm-hmm. And I was also like, fuck, fuck camera Shane is in. Hey, fuck me too. You know, I'm happy. It's kind of like a, it was kind of a little play on words. It was, <laughs> yeah, it was funny. pretty clever. Yeah. You know, and so then I just moved it into fuck Budokan, which really means anytime you start to care about something that is a construct to the point where you lose perspective on it, you've got to kill it. You got to say, fuck that, you know? Mm-hmm. And fuck that just means you know fuck it like like you need a little destruction of it. Yeah, it's a destructive statement. Fuck that. And so the destructive statement itself just really lends itself to to you know to I don't give a fuck. Fuck it. Like like I, like I'm I, you know I've got to really put into perspective how much this how much my idea of this matters. Mm-hmm. I mean, in essence, it sets it free by doing that too, right? Like, and that's the idea, exactly, yeah. to, free, to free it up. Because, you know, it's like the old statement, when you see the Buddha coming down the road, kill the Buddha. Yeah. And then the idea is, as a meditator, as a meditator, that was me, see? But when I did that, the, something fell over because Buddha's just, you know, <laughs> hovering about. Um, but when you, when you see the Buddha kill the Buddha, because if you're if you're in the process of medit- a, a deep meditation practice and you start to experience sort of the Buddha-like states that we associate meditation to, which is this sort of um, samadhi, this nirvanic sort of like I'm, I'm feeling freedom and complete and, and, and singularity and oneness and I'm sort of dualities fading away into singularity um, kind of experience. Uh, when I start to see that occurring, and then I'm sort of, oh, there's the Buddha, there, there's Buddhism, there I am becoming Buddha. Mm-hmm. You want to kill that because that sort of now becomes an obstacle, of course, on the path, because now you're starting to see yourself, uh, you know, you're wearing white, you know, white gowns and, you know, you're, you're walking around and, you know, telling, telling people that you're going to, you know, that you can take them to the next level with, with a little... You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You start to, you know, yeah. you're, you know, you're starting to, ah, yes, welcome. You're culty. <laughs> you're getting a little culty. Get a little culty there. A little culty. A little culty. Slow down. Oh, Get a little culty there. <laughs> if I ever show up the Buddha kind and I see you in a white robe. Yeah. See, then you got to worry because that's worry it. A little bit. Yeah. Things, things. But instead, you see me in a baseball cap. You yeah. know, and I'm like, you know, and I'm just like, all right, I'm not going to dress different. You know, this is it. This is, uh, you know, so anytime you can identify a yogi, you, you've got what you found is a non-yogi. Mm. You know, that that's just an opinion. Any kind of, anytime you can identify. The only reason I'll get, the only reason I don't say that about monks is that, you know, if you go to be a monk, the whole point is just you get one outfit. 
Yeah. <laughs> so it's a little easy to pick you out of the crowd. Yeah. 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 It's, I don't, I don't, I don't hold a monk accountable to that in an orange, you know, outfit or, or brown. Cause it's like, you only get one outfit. So yeah. it's like, here you go. But if you're a normal person living in a normal world and you start rolling around in a monk's outfit, I'm like, motherfucker, you got a whole wardrobe at home. You're just trying, you're just trying to get people to identify you yeah. as something. And then so you can be treated as something. Mm. How about you just be anonymous? Yeah. Yeah. Just be an anonymous. Work. Yeah. Do an anonymous yogi. Nobody sees him do exactly the same work. Mm -hmm. You know, don't, don't, don't get people to look when you put your money into the tithing bowl. Mm -hmm. Hey everybody, I don't want to make a big deal about this, but I'm giving $500. Mm -hmm. But no need to make a big deal about it. I'm just, I'm giving five. Just know? being a yogi. I'm just being a yogi. Being a yogi, yogi up here giving all. 500. Yeah. No. no yeah. Hey, hey, look away. D look away. Nothing happening here. Just me giving five hundred dollars. Just me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Taking an Instagram selfie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and then putting it in my story and just doing this philanthropic work without any need to be identified. Well, my friend, All hey, right, brother. Sounds I can good. just say it was a tremendous conversation. I look forward to sharing it with, uh, yeah, with man. all my folks and i really appreciate you and love you and thank you so much for the opportunity love you too brother thanks for being on the show all right everyone this has been great remember you're a fighter the day you decide to become one and today might be that day stay focused take care this has been another great episode of the fight focus for show notes and links, visit us on the web at www.thefightfocus.libsyn.com. You can always check us out on Spotify and iTunes as well. Go to any of those pages, like, comment, subscribe, and share. Thank you for the support, everyone. Thank you.